Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast. What a sports week it is. We've got to rewind and talk a little bit of football before we get ready for the baseball playoffs. It was a wild weekend in both college and the NFL, and we'll talk about that in just a second. I want to let you know that the guest today is my buddy Mike Fletcher with TotallyTickets.com. He's a big baseball guy, so we're going to preview the Major League Baseball playoffs, the expanded playoffs, I should say. 16 teams. We have the wild card round kicking off today with eight best of three series in both the American League and the National League. So this is going to be pretty interesting, pretty wild, and I don't know that I would be a fan of this every year, but I'm kind of digging the adjustment they've made in 2020, and this should be a lot of fun. All right, let's hit football, and we've got to start with Oklahoma and the massive collapse that we saw in the second half on Saturday. Oklahoma's a better team than Kansas State, and they're probably a four-touchdown better team than Kansas State. But once again, we saw a lot of the old problems from the Sooners surface in Norman on Saturday, and issues that have to be fixed. If we're going to put together a list of things that have to be better, once again, I think you have to circle the defense. Number one, tackling is an issue. Giving up big plays in the passing game is an issue. Forcing turnovers is an issue. None of this is new. And while I think we can all agree the Oklahoma defense took a step in the right direction last season under Alex Grinch, his post-game press conference had me concerned. He looked like a guy that was looking for answers and didn't necessarily know where to look. For as much as we've seen the Oklahoma defense improve over the last season, it kind of feels like after the game on Saturday, they are right back to square one, right back to the same old group. And as far as the national narrative goes, you can throw any improvement that we saw from the defense a year ago out the window because the national narrative is going right back to Oklahoma defense can't stop a soul. And that's how they're going to be viewed. I also think the offensive line is an issue and it's something to pay close attention to. I do feel like it's an issue across the board in football, not just college. I I think we're seeing it in the NFL. Everybody is struggling from that standpoint. And a lot of that is just the lack of physicality leading up to the season. A lot of that is lack of reps leading up to the season. And for a group that is so dependent on chemistry and physicality all mixed into one, we're seeing offensive lines everywhere have a hard time hitting the ground running. So while I think it's easy to be concerned about where the offensive line is, I do think it's fair to give everybody a little bit longer leash from that aspect than we would in any other season. That said, you've got to figure it out just like everybody else. And Oklahoma doesn't look like they have the ability to run the football on demand. They just don't. I went back through the box score on Saturday evening and I looked at the second half and I looked at the plays that Oklahoma had design run calls. There were 12 predetermined run plays in the second half and they went for a total of 25 yards against a Kansas State defense that played two high safeties the entire ball game. And credit Kansas State for playing a heck of a game defensively, but there's no reason that Oklahoma shouldn't be able to run the football against Kansas State, especially given the way Kansas State approached the Sooners' offense. I know there's a lot of criticism of Spencer Rattler and the three interceptions. Spencer Rattler's at the bottom bottom of my concern list. Not concerned about Spencer Rattler whatsoever. First interception was a tip pass at the line of scrimmage. That happens. Not a big deal. I don't look at Spencer Rattler after that throw and have any concerns. Now, if there are a lot of tip passes at the line of scrimmage and that becomes a trend going forward, maybe that's when you start to worry about it. But one tip pass isn't going to do it for me. The second interception was a bad throw, plain and simple. It didn't look like he really stepped into the throw. I know he was under pressure as well. And we see this sometimes in football, especially with guys that have world-class arms. Sometimes I think those guys 
trust their arm ability a little too much. And that might have been the case with Spencer Rattler on that throw. He probably thought he could get it there. He let it go. It was short and it was intercepted and, and Kansas State made a terrific play on it. That one you can totally put on Spencer Rattler and he's got to be better. And, and again, it wasn't one of those things where I felt like it was super concerning. And then the one at the end, again, you're behind the eight ball. You've got to make something happen. You've got to start pushing the ball down the field. He made a bad throw. That was the end of the ball game. And that's it. I'm again, I, Spencer Rattler, I think is going to be fine, but they need to be better in the run game. They need to make defenses respect the ability that they can run the football. And if they can't pass protect and they can't run the football, then you're going to see more of the same at the quarterback position, no matter who's back there. So any of this nonsense about wanting to see Tanner Mordecai or wanting to see Chandler Morris, I don't think anybody's doing anything any differently than Spencer Rattler is based on what was happening around him. He gives you the best chance to win. He's an incredible talent. He's an, he has an incredible arm. He's going to bounce back. But again, as far as the offensive concerns, I, I think the offensive line for me is, is a much greater concern than Spencer Rattler. All right, let's talk Oklahoma State. Big win over West Virginia. I continue to be impressed with the Oklahoma State defense. This was a group that had a lot of hype coming into the season, and I don't think they've done anything to take away from any of that hype. They look terrific on all three levels. Trace Ford, I think, has been the most impressive defensive player in the entire conference. And really, if you want to take that a step further, I was thinking about this this morning. If you have to start putting together a list of the best defensive players in the league... I don't know that you're not talking about maybe five of the top 10 being Oklahoma State Cowboys. Trace Ford has been phenomenal. The combination of Trey Sterling and Colby Harvell Peel at the back end of that defense is dangerous. And you had Rodarius Williams at corner. It kind of feels like he's been there forever. And West Virginia really tried to test him early, and it seemed like he was breaking up every pass thrown his way. This is a defense that I think is really good. It's crazy to say this, but they're the more exciting group right now. The Oklahoma State offense... First of all, you have to understand that without Spencer Sanders, things are drastically different. So I'm willing to understand that there are going to be offensive struggles without your starting quarterback. Offensive line certainly struggled against Tulsa. My big question mark is what would they look like against a West Virginia team whose strength is their defensive tackles? I didn't think they were great on Saturday, but they certainly weren't bad either in my mind. I thought they passed the test. I thought they looked better, but it's still something to keep an eye on. Maybe the most shocking part of the offense is the running back position. And through two games, I think it's fair to say that L.D. Brown has been the best running back at Oklahoma State so far. I think he's made more of the opportunities he's been given than Chuba Hubbard has. And that's not a knock on Chuba Hubbard. I think that's just praising what we've seen out of L.D. Brown. And he was a player a year ago that I think a lot was expected from when he had opportunities to give Chuba Hubbard a breather. And for the most part, it kind of felt like the drop-off from Chuba Hubbard to L.D. Brown was pretty drastic. And like I said, through two games, I feel like L.D. Brown has been the more dynamic back between the two. Chuba Hubbard got the late touchdown in this game against West Virginia, and maybe that's something that sparks him going forward and maybe starting to hear the conversation about how well L.D. Brown has played sparks Chuba Hubbard going forward. I'm certainly not writing Chuba Hubbard off, and I still think he's one of the best running backs in college football. But based strictly on what we've seen for eight quarters with this Oklahoma State offense, L.D. Brown has been the better option to this point. We'll talk about the rest of the Big 12 a little later in the week. Preview Oklahoma-Iowa State. We'll preview Oklahoma State-Kansas. Also, just a reminder that every Saturday, two hours before Oklahoma's kickoff, Mike Steely and myself have pregame coverage on the live stream, so make sure you follow my Twitter at Colby underscore Daniels. 
two hours before kickoff. I tweet the link. You can hang out with us. You can drop comments and just get ready for kickoff as we have a 4.30 pregame start this weekend. The Sooners and the Iowa State Cyclones kicking off at 6.30. So once again, Mike Steely and myself, live stream pregame show two hours before kickoff, and that will be 4.30 before this Iowa State game. All right, let's talk Major League Baseball. The playoffs begin today. Here we go. My guest today is a good friend. He is as big a sports fan probably across the board as I am, and it's fun to talk to Mike Fletcher from Totally Tickets, totallytickets.com. We'll talk about the ticket thing as well because I think that's interesting as far as the sports world is concerned. But, Mike, you're a big baseball guy. I'm, I'm happy to have somebody to talk baseball with. This is a unique situation like we've never witnessed in the sports before. How excited are you for this? I'm extremely excited. As you know, grew up a White Sox fan. This is the first year that the White Sox are in the playoffs since 2008. So it'll be the first chance that I get to even watch playoff baseball with my team in it with my kids. That's pretty badass. And and look, I, I love your White Sox. I think they're probably, at least from the American League, the most fun team to watch. And And if we could just pencil them into the World Series right now without any games being played, I would totally be okay with it. I would love it. I'd love to see the White Sox and Padres because I think they're the two teams with the most exciting young talent that every time you turn on the TV, they've got a chance to really excite you and play some fun baseball. They just kind of feel like the next generation of baseball, right? Yeah, between with the Padres with Tatis and the White Sox with Lewis Robert and Eloy Jimenez. Um, White Sox have been struggling lately since they clinched the division, or since they clinched their playoff spot. I believe they're one and seven, but hopefully they can turn it around starting today at two o'clock. Yeah, this uh, this what three game series between these sixteen teams is going to be interesting from a from a strategy standpoint. I think I agree because here's the thing: three games, two out of three, the best team certainly doesn't always win. Four out of seven, usually the best team wins, not always, but two out of three. It's just who's hot right now. Especially if you get a performance out of an ace that isn't what you're typically used to, that, that puts you at massive risk. Correct. And I also think that it's going to be very interesting to see how managers use their bullpens in these games because when you only have to win two, I mean, game one, are you playing it like it's game seven? Because you want to get that first one. That first one's so important to set the tone for the next two. It's funny because I look at this bracket and if we rewind, what, two months ago when this thing is getting started, if you had told me Rays-Jays playoff matchup, I would have said, no way in hell. Maybe Tampa was going to make a run with that incredible top of the rotation they have, but uh, it's it's pretty remarkable that uh, the, the AL East, it's not the Yankees, it's not the Red Sox, although the Yankees are in it, Rays and Jays have, have kind of been the surprise there. Absolutely, and the Rays have done it pitching, hitting, they've done it all, and the fact that the Blue Jays are in there, I think the only thing more surprising than the Blue Jays being in the playoffs might be that the Marlins are in the playoffs over the National League. I mean, we didn't even know if the Marlins were going to play a season, right? When all of this started, they were the first team that really got hit with the COVID stuff, and I actually made the joke. I was like, nobody cares. Nobody's going to miss the Marlins if they miss half the season. And here they are in the postseason. Um, it's still a roster full of guys that, that probably most average baseball fans have no idea who these guys are. And here they are. It's wild to me. It is. And I'm an avid baseball fan and there's still probably 
a dozen players on the Marlins that I don't know who they are. That's just, they put it together and they played it. It shows you though, the baseball is the ultimate team sport where if you play together as a team, you get good pitching, you get timely hitting, you can succeed. It's not about one superstar as it can be in the NBA, uh, specifically putting your team on its back and it doesn't work in baseball. Well, and it also just shows you, I think, going into the season, you expand the playoffs and you're not playing 162 games over the over the course of a you know 40 to 50 game stretch. Any team in baseball can put together a stretch like that where they are among the better teams in baseball. And, and here you are, the Miami Marlins, perfect example. Yeah, and we got four teams out of one division in the playoffs of the expanded playoffs. You got four teams from the National League Central. Now, granted, the Milwaukee Brewers do have a losing record. And certainly don't expect them to beat the Dodgers. But again, in this short series, anything can happen. I think Trevor Bauer was tweeting something yesterday saying like everybody was throwing shade at the NL Central, calling it a bad division. And here we are with four of the five in the postseason. Yeah, it's unbelievable. He is a fantastic follow on Twitter, by the way. Is he the most, I think, maybe outside of the game, the most fun player to follow? I think so. Uh, the other day when the White Sox were playing the Reds and Tim Anderson hit a home run and uh, off Bauer, and later on that night, Bauer tweeted and said, great home run, but I'm very disappointed you didn't bat flip me. Yeah, he ripped him for not bat flitting. Bat flipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, I will say one thing about Bauer. He likes to dish it out, but he can also take it. He's not one of those that can only dish it out and then gets all sensitive when other players give it back to him. Yeah, and look, I think he he might be as exciting on the field. You see him striking guys out and just going nuts. You see him doing the Conor McGregor walk off the mound as, as he strikes out the side. The guy is next level, but as far as off the field, I don't know that there's anybody with a better personality that does more to maybe draw eyeballs and bring a little bit of excitement to what Major League Baseball is. I agree, and it also helps that he does produce on the field because I think if you had someone with his personality off the field, who was just an average player, below average player, then they would look kind of like a clown. Is he the, the is he the NL Cy Young winner? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Jacob deGrom. I think Jacob deGrom is an absolute stud, but I don't know how you can give the Cy Young to a guy when you didn't make the playoffs with the, when half the teams are making the playoffs. I mean, he, I mean, I know it's not his fault the rest of the team couldn't pitch and he got very little support, but Bauer's just dominant every time he goes on the mound. I mean, his ERA is sub two, and, you know, he'd probably be nine and two or eight and one if his team would hit for him. He had, I believe, the third lowest run support of any starter in the National League. Yeah, he's he's been really I think I probably lean Bauer, but it's close. And and look, maybe the maybe the whole playoff thing is is the I don't think that should weigh heavily. In a in a you know in an individual race, but maybe when things are as close as they are between Bauer and Degrom, then that could be the the thing that makes you sway one way or the other. The the crazy thing to me about Bauer is that he struck out a hundred batters and walked seventeen. That's like unheard of. What is I'm trying to do the math in my head. What is that K to walk ratio? It's got to be that's got to be close to a record, right? Almost six to one. I mean, I guess DeGrom, DeGrom wasn't far off. DeGrom walked 18 and struck out 104. So I guess they're really close okay. to the same. But the uh, the fact that a guy can 
strike out over 100, have greater than a five to one strike out to walk ratio. It just shows you that every time they get on the mound, they give their team a chance to win. Speaking of pitching, I, I saw a debate yesterday online between a couple guys that, that cover baseball about whether or not, and I, I think you're probably going to disagree with this, especially because the main candidate is a, is a White Sox, but Shane Bieber is going to win the AL Cy Young, but the debate was, should he get some serious MVP consideration? He's going to win the Cy Young. He probably should be considered for the MVP, but you are correct. I think the MVP should absolutely be Jose Abreu. Uh, without them, the White Sox are not near where they are. And, and I know it should not be a cumulative award. It's a single-season award. But he has simply just gone out there and produced and produced and produced year after year. And this year, he's just come up with some big-time hits and some big-time situations. He's the leader of a team that hasn't been to the playoffs in 12 years. He's hitting over 300, 19 homers, 60 RBIs. Um, I mean, really – and he's improved leaps and bounds defensively from where he was three to four years ago. He's still not going to win a gold glove, but he's improved tremendously. The only knock on him is he strikes out a little bit too much, but the entire White Sox team strikes out a little bit too much. Um, They're a little more disciplined at the plate. No telling how dangerous that team would be. Everybody in baseball strikes out too much, right? That's just the way the game is played. It's, I mean, they, I think most of the, next level analytic guys have determined that they would rather swing for the fences and, and go with more strikeouts than, you know, cutting down on strikeouts. I mean, that's just, I, I think from a strategy standpoint, that's the way the game is going. Go big or go home, right? Yeah. It's almost similar to how in basketball, everything's become about the three point shot. Yeah. Don't, don't shoot, never shoot an 18 foot jumper when you can back up a little bit and get three points. It's the same thing with baseball right now. seems like nobody looks for contact hits. We want to hit the ball in the ballpark or we're going to go strike out. And I know it's not the case with everybody, but it's certainly become more prevalent than it used to be. Abreu, he's he's always been good. And then this year, obviously, he got a lot more attention. But there was that weak stretch where I don't even remember how many home runs he hit, but it just kind of felt like that one week where he just went nuts. Finally, he started getting maybe the, the national attention that he deserves. Yeah, there was one stretch, I believe it was in the end of August, I'm going to say, where he hit five home runs and six or seven at-bats. It was and, and music to my ears, it was against the Cubs, which was fantastic. Uh, he had <laughs> uh, six home runs, I'm looking at it right now, six home runs in three games against the Cubs. And uh, he had seven home runs in five games total. So, um yeah, he, he really turned it on at the end of August when the White Sox were playing well. They went on a stretch where they won 11 out of 12 games and put them into the playoffs. Like I said, unfortunately, since they've clinched their playoff spot, they are 1-8, but hopefully, again, that turns around. But that said, they're playing the Oakland A's, and the Oakland A's, you talk about guys that have just come out of nowhere pitching. I mean, the Oakland A's. Yeah, they're. I mean, they are better. They're like the Kansas State of Major League Baseball, right? They're always better and tougher than anyone gives them credit for. Correct. And Chris Bassett, and Chris Bassett, I believe, is like thirty or thirty-two years old. Had never even really had a decent record in the major leagues until this year. And I mean, I think his last twenty-seven innings, he's given up one run. Yeah, the guy's just been on fire. Uh, and then 
Jesus Laredo, Luzardo, uh, who's pitching today, that guy's been dominant all season. And if it wasn't for, if it wasn't for Shane Bieber, he'd probably be the American League Cy Young winner. Yeah, big-time prospect that's delivering early in his career. And, and look, Bassett's a guy that, I mean, if you've ever watched him pitch, even before this season, you could see the stuff was there. I mean, he has some nasty stuff. He's just, it, it's always felt like failed to put it together consistently. Correct, correct, yeah. Um, he uh, He's definitely stepped into his own zone this year, so to speak. I mean, he's... Uh, and it's interesting. Maybe a shortened season has helped people like that. Maybe it took a little bit of the pressure off. I discussed this with a friend of mine the other day that maybe some of these guys just don't didn't feel as much pressure. You, you're you know no fans. You don't have family members calling you for tickets. You're not worried about the autograph seekers. You're not worried about this and that. You're literally just having fun and playing baseball. Yeah, and and not having to pace yourself, not having to pace your body to go to, you know, last 162 games. And, and the other thing is Mike, I th- you know, there's a grind to baseball and, and I know people talk about it's, it's not from a, it's not as physically taxing maybe within the game as any other sport. But when you essentially play six out of seven days, every single week for the course of 162 games, it, it becomes a grind daily and, and probably as much of a mental grind as it is a physical grind uh, to, to just bring it every single day and to be on your game every single day. And I think that's also helped a lot of guys, not not kind of wearing down from that aspect. I agree. I was doing the exact same thing. I think mentally, especially in a, quote, normal season when you're on the road, always away from your family, always living in a hotel, always traveling. And yes, I know they travel first-class airfare, et cetera, et cetera, or charter jet. But it's still travel. It's still being away from your family and the grind mentally has to be enormous. And I think during the 60 game season, maybe like you said, people just said, you know what? It's only 60 games. I can sprint. I don't have to pace myself. And so I think some of the guys relaxed and performed better. Now there's those that performed very poorly this year. I'm very, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how Christian Yelich does this playoff against the uh, Dodgers in the national league. Now I don't, again, I don't think the Brewers are going to win, but Yelich had an absolutely awful season after winning the batting title last year in the National League and the Brewers are there not because of him but in spite of him I would say as the eighth seed but he certainly has the ability to you know break out at any time all right before we kind of go through these matchups and and talk a little bit about what our expectations are for this uh 16 team Major League Baseball playoff um you are the second Chicago White Sox fan I've had on the podcast and so I got to get the origin story because it's it's interesting to me. Most people from Chicago, it feels like, just naturally go Cubs. So why the White Sox? Why the White Sox? <laughs> my dad grew up in Chicago. Who was uh, an American League fan. His dad was an American League fan. My dad was an American League fan. And it's funny because my dad grew up two miles from Wrigley Field. And so you'd think he'd have been a Cub fan. But as he told me, he said, because they didn't discover electricity at Wrigley Field till 1989, he said, every time you wanted to go somewhere, there was traffic because they were playing. He said, so my dad couldn't stand them. I couldn't stand them. And he just put it into me that I couldn't stand the Cubs. Uh, as a matter of fact, in high school, I had a bumper sticker on my car that said, I would rather have a sister in a whorehouse than a brother who is a Cubs fan. Oh, there you go. Uh, that's, that's and a lot then of hate. I was also, 
Yes, and then in 1987, I was also bat boy for the White Sox for two weeks. So still to this day, probably the coolest job I've ever had. 1987. I'm trying to remember what the White Sox roster looked like back then. Uh, Who was Jim, on the 87 Jim Sox? For, Jim Fergosi was the manager. Uh, Carlton Fisk was catcher. Ron Kittle. Uh, Ozzy Guillen, uh, who obviously managed the White Sox the 2005 World Series championship later. He was on the team. But I probably learned more about baseball during that stretch, sitting on the bench next to a guy named Jerry Hairston. I don't know if you remember yeah, who that is. Absolutely, yeah. He was a, never a great ball player, but he was a great pinch hitter. And he would just sit there and teach me about the game. And I was a you know, 13-year-old kid at the time and probably learned more about baseball during that stretch, sitting on the bench next to those guys than I've ever learned. 80, 87-88-ish was when I, I first got into baseball, and I'll never forget, I for Christmas one year I got like one of those baseball sticker books that has every team and it has like a blank space by every position and then you have the stickers and you have to put like what player plays first base for the White Sox or you know who the center fielder for the Boston Red Sox is and and that was like my introduction to baseball and I, I just like you know back in the day I could tell you every single starting player for every team basically because of that book and, and that was like my introduction to baseball yeah that's awesome that's awesome you know those old sticker books yeah yeah, they actually, I they have those, I think, for the NBA now. Like, I, I was... Uh, they do. I was at Target the other day, and I happened to see one, and I was like, oh, that's... I, like, I loved that when I was a kid, so uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, they do. My, my, uh, our oldest son, he has this bigger book for the NBA and the NFL. Nice, nice. Um, so the other, the other White Sox fan I had on the podcast was Steve Grad, and I don't know if you've ever heard his White Sox story, but uh, he was with his family at a... I think it was a Cubs game. And they asked Dave Kingman for an autograph, and and I don't remember exactly what was said, but it was something like "fuck you," and so he was just like, "I hated the Cubs from that day on." That's funny. That's funny. I actually do know Steve Rada from the Autograph and Baseball Collective in this world. Yeah, yeah, great dude, great dude. So yeah, um, yeah. Look, I, I'm I'm excited about your White Sox, and uh, like I said, if if we could just pencil them into the World Series right now, I would be totally okay with it because. I think as far as the American League goes, they are by far the most fun team to watch. Um, are I the agree, Yankees, and I just hope that it continues. Yeah. Are the Yankees going to have to fire a trainer? Because it seems like it's been a couple seasons. And look, I'm not complaining because I'm not a Yankee fan at all. Uh, in fact, I'm, I'm the complete opposite of a Yankee fan. But to see how many of their quality players have just been hurt constantly over the course of, of how many seasons now, uh, it's, it's kind of shocking, actually. It is, but I also think they're a very scary team now that the people are back. I mean, if I they stay back, right? Re- that's true. They got to stay healthy for the duration of the playoffs, which for them has been the biggest challenge. Um, but I definitely think that they're going to give Cleveland all they want. Now, obviously, um, with Bieber starting game one gives Cleveland a great chance, but let's, let's face it, the Yankees are matching them with Garrett Cole. So, uh, I mean, might be a slight edge to Cleveland based on how they pitched this year, but it, that's going to be a heck of a ball game. It's it's crazy to me how Cleveland has just continued to produce all of these incredible arms, one after another, and it's like they, they've gotten rid of some guys, and there's just another dude there to step up and, and play at this incredible level. That they're, I, To me, they are extremely dangerous in a three-game series simply because they, they have the arms to be able to, to just shut you down. For 18 innings. They do. They do. I'm 
personally, we, we can save it to when we get to our predictions, but I, I, I don't know why I think the Yankees are going to get them, but um, I just think the Yankees have come together now at the right time, become healthy at the right time. And I'm like, you I'm anything but a Yankees fan. Um, I just think the talent there is just tremendous. Yeah, and I, I I do have to give Luke Voigt a lot of credit because I, uh, I was hard on him last year, especially because I, f- I just felt like he struck out all the time in critical moments, and I was like, this guy's a bum, and he is raking right now. Yeah, he, he has shocked everybody. I think if anybody would have told you that he would be in the MVP discussion or the home run leader discussion before the 60-game sprint started, no one would have believed you. But that's, I think, sometimes what makes baseball what it is is sometimes you just get stars that step up and do what they do at the time they do that never do it before and never do it after. I could bring up one name, but I don't want to send you into an absolute panic. So David free. And that was Mike Fletcher joining us on the Colby Daniels podcast. And we'll catch up with Mike again soon. Uh, yeah. Damn dude. Just had to, Go for the uh, gut shot. Uh, all right, let's <laughs> let's start in the National League. We'll start with the Dodgers Brewers. Um, my preseason prediction was Dodgers over Yankees in the World Series, especially adding Mookie Betts to the top of that lineup. They are they are everything I thought they would be. Um, they are just incredibly dangerous. San Diego to me is probably a little bit more fun just because of the style that they play and and the youth and the I don't give a fuck kind of mentality that they play with, but. I mean, the Dodgers are, are hard to argue as maybe the most complete team in baseball. Yeah, I don't disagree. I think the Dodgers are absolutely the favorite nationally. I think they're going to beat the Brewers and beat them fairly easily. I mean, they were really good before they added Mookie Betts, and you add one of the best two or three players in the game to your team. Uh, it's certainly not going to hinder your ability to advance in the playoffs, I wouldn't think. How now, big... that said, Cody Bellinger has been a little bit disappointing this yeah. year. Uh, he has gotten some timely hits, but his overall performance has not been great. Well, a year ago, I mean, Bellinger and and uh, Yelich were probably the two best hitters in all of baseball. And both Correct. guys have really struggled. Yeah, yeah, but they've gotten Corey Seager back healthy. Mookie's raking. Uh, I mean, the, the team's just stacked top to bottom. How big in terms of legacy is this run for Clayton Kershaw once again, who constantly hears those those postseason you know yeah but the postseason I think it's big I, I think he's got to produce and I think they're going to need him to produce because sure they've got other guys that can pitch but he's he's the quote-unquote leader of that team uh I'd even argue he's probably the leader beyond Mookie even just because he's been there he's been in Dodger blue he's been to the World Series as a Dodger um I think it's big for him, and I think he's got to get him started. I think if he gets him started out on the right foot in this playoffs, it could take him a long way. Is it possible that he went from being, however you viewed him, I, I think a lot of people viewed him as the best pitcher in baseball for a number of years. I think some people always kind of felt like maybe he was a little bit overrated. Is it possible that he's underrated now? He's reached that point where people see the postseason struggles, people think he's getting older, and now he's not maybe viewed as much as as well as he should be i definitely think it's a possibility i think people at this point expect him to fail in the playoffs and that might be a little bit of an edge for him i mean he's absolutely been fantastic this year um i mean talking about a guy with another 
incredible strikeout to walk ratio. He's almost eight to one. Yeah, sixty-two strikeouts with eight walks. I mean, it's it's unbelievable, really. Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't get you as many strikeouts, but he's I mean he from a location standpoint he just rarely misses. It seems like. Yeah. And look, I Dustin May is kind of shocking. You know, we got that news on opening night that Kershaw wasn't going to pitch. Dustin May was filling in, and and a lot of people didn't know who Dustin May was. He's got terrific stuff, and he might be the X factor for them. He is, and their bullpen is fantastic. I mean, Kenley Jansen just can come in and shut people down. Uh, Cherry struggled for, I believe it was a week or two back in the early part of the season, but as of late, he's been fantastic. Uh, and then, I mean, especially with the three-game series, you get Kershaw, you get May, and oh, by the way, there's Walker Bueller sitting there. If you know, <laughs> yeah, if things don't pan out, I mean, yeah, um, I, Corbin Burns has has really pitched well down the stretch for the Brewers, and I mean, speaking of guys with stri- high, high strikeout rates, uh, I, I would like to see what he looks like against this Dodgers lineup given how well he's pitched, but I still think Dodgers in two. I pick Dodgers in two as well. I, I do like Burns. Um, I do think that Christian Yelich may come out with something to prove, but again, I just don't think the Brewers are strong enough overall. And the fact that the Brewers have yet to decide who they're pitching in game one also tells me that they're not sure of themselves either. By the way, I just saw this, and I guess I missed it last Friday. Burns got placed on the 10-day injured list. Oh, yikes. I didn't see that either. So that's not good. Yeah, he pitched last Thursday and went three and two-thirds and was pulled, it looks like. So, uh uh-oh. So, yeah, I think that uh, there we go. So they're going to probably have to – and I don't think they can start Woodruff because Woodruff pitched – Saturday. Yeah, Woodruff pitched Saturday. Uh, I guess he, he could pitch tomorrow, I guess. But, you know, I mean, they got to do something. But, yeah, I, I picked the Dodgers in two either way. Yeah. All right, the next series, and, and it's crazy that we potentially have a Padres-Dodgers matchup in what would be the second round of the playoffs this year. Uh, but the, the Padres, a lot like your White Sox, I think, you know, again, put them in the most exciting team in baseball category. Yeah, the young talent that they have – is so incredible. I mean, first of all, Fernando Tatis is probably the most exciting player in all of baseball. I mean, he, he does it in the field. He does it with the bat. He's got the personality off the field. Uh, Trent Grisham, this kid's come out of nowhere as a rookie. Uh, doesn't have the highest batting average, but seems to get the timely hits when they need it. And then, of course, Manny Machado. Some people don't love his attitude, didn't like him when he was with the Orioles, thought he was a little whiny with the Dodgers. But so far, all indications are that he's doing nothing but exemplary as far as a teammate goes in San Diego, and he's shown it on the field as well. Yeah, how about how about Trent Grisham and Jake Cronenworth? As both of those guys are rookies, and both of those guys are massive parts to what they do. Yeah, it, it's so... I think it's common to find a team that has a rookie that does well. But when you have two, three, and I, I know Tatis is a rookie, but he's still considered very young. You have three, four very young guys that are leading your team and you're in the playoffs. Even if they lose, you know, similar to the White Sox, even if they lose, it can do nothing but help this young core going forward. Yeah, yeah. They're nasty. I mean, they are they are 
really dangerous. I, I really hope that we get a Dodgers Padres series and that one of those teams doesn't let us down in this in this three game stretch and and we all get to kind of sit back and watch those two teams duel it out. But you mentioned Manny Machado. It's kind of funny to me because I see a lot of Manny Machado in Fernando Tatis Jr. And Manny Machado was kind of criticized for being that guy and and Tatis Jr. is kind of praised for it. It's that's that it's just kind of an interesting dynamic for me. Yeah, that is interesting. I never thought about it that way, but I definitely see the parallel. Yeah. So, okay, we are we are on the same side of things with both the Dodgers and the Padres. Yeah, I, I think it's going to take I, the Padres three games. Okay. You're giving the Cardinals an opportunity to take one. I am. Are All you right. taking the two, game of two? I'm, I'm going two, yeah. Padres and two. Now, this one to me, I, I just, I'm, I'm excited to hear what you're going to go with. Simply because of your fandom. Cubs, Marlins. Obviously, the Cubs are the more talented team. What are you picking? I'm picking the Marlins in three, and it's not simply simply due to my loathing of the Cubs. I just think it would be – I do think the Cubs are the better team. Cubs are probably going to win the series. But I'm going to go out on a little bit of a limb – I just think it would just be a great baseball story if the Marlins, if the Marlins could win a game, or win a game, win a series in advance. And the fact that they're led offensively by Brian Anderson, who's from right here in Edmonds, uh, would be a really good local story as well. Uh, I just have a feeling that they are going to get the job done. I, I don't know what it is. Like I said, Cubs are the better team, but I just think it would be a great story, and I'm going to cheer for the great story. It's interesting that the Cubs were as good as they were this year, and you kind of look across the board, and it didn't really feel like any of their big players, at least you know the everyday guys, were even close to the same level that they've been at in the last few seasons. No, Chris Bryant was absolutely abysmal this year. Now, he did pick it up this last series in the weekend against, unfortunately, my White Sox. Uh, Javier Baez struggled at the plate all season long. Rizzo struggled. I mean, they've really, shockingly, while everyone thought, oh my gosh, the Cubs are going to hit the cover off the ball and they're going to struggle pitching. I mean, Hugh Darvish has turned back the fountain of youth and looks as good as he's ever looked. Speaking of Cy Young, that's that's a guy that has a chance to win it, honestly. He does. I think you're going to... Be over, I think he's going to be overshadowed by Bauer some just because of the personality, if nothing else. But he certainly got a chance. And, you know, anytime they can throw Darvish and Hendricks on the mound, the way those two guys have pitched this year, they've got a chance to win every game. And uh, they've had some incredible bullpen as well. I mean, they've kind of been a bullpen by committee with no one really dominant, but they've had some great performances out of the bullpen. These batting averages are crazy for Chicago. So Schwarber was 188, Baez 203, Bryant 206, Rizzo 222. Yeah, I mean, it's like I said, they, and you would have thought it had been just the opposite. The right. pitching would be barely yeah. good enough and the hitting would be monster. All right, because of the inconsistencies, so it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it takes them three and that the Marlins just kind of get one, but I still got the Cubs. All right. All right. This is this is probably my favorite. I don't know if it's my favorite overall, but definitely my favorite series in the National League: Braves, Reds. Yeah, I man, it's really a tough one here because I love the fact 
for the Reds. They've got Bauer. Um, Nick Castellanos has had a great year for the Reds. He's slowed down recently, but the guy's been absolutely clutch every time he's come up to the plate. But there's just something about this series that tells me that Ronald Acuna is going to announce his presence. Like, everyone's always thought he was talented, but I think he's going to put his name up there this postseason to join Trout, Mookie Betts as, you know, top, top echelon player. So I'm picking the Braves in three. This one is so difficult for me. Uh, the pitching, I think, is is heavily in favor of Cincinnati when they can throw Bauer, Castillo, and Sonny Gray at you. Um, Atlanta, Max Freed has been great all year. I, he's he's kind of limped down the stretch with uh, with an injury, and apparently he's he's good to go and and he's all set. But um, man, it's hard for me to go against that pitching staff with Cincinnati, even though you mentioned Acuna, who is is just ready to explode as as one of the premier players in baseball. Freddie Freeman and Marcelo Zunia are both MVP candidates. Uh, both of those guys yep. just knocked the cover off the ball all season long. I, I, I just I can't go against getting at least two good performances from Bauer, Castillo, or, or Sonny Gray. So I think I'm going to have to go Man, this is tough. I've gone back and forth on this over the last 24 hours. I think I'm going to go Cincinnati in three. Cincinnati in three. All right. So yeah, if no, Atlanta wins in it, two it's and it's not even close, then then you can blow me up. But it's 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 no, really think, hard for me to bet against be, those pitchers. No, I, and I, I agree with that. It's the toughest pick of the ones for me, and I think it's going to be a fun series to watch because – I believe that if Cincinnati starters come out and do what we know they could do, yeah. you could see some great baseball that's a three to two game, a two to one game. But I think if they get into that Cincinnati bullpen, you could see the Braves beat the cover off the ball, win a game ten to two. No doubt. You know, no doubt. Yeah. Um, all right, American League, Jays, Rays. Uh, this one is this one's pretty fun. Uh, a lot of young talent. Um, I, I think the Rays. Too much pitching. Yeah, I agree. And I think the Jays do have a lot of young talent. But to me, for whatever reason, I don't think their young talent is quite as far along as the Padres or the White Sox right now. And I just think they're still kind of, I don't know, inconsistent. Yeah. Um, seems, seems like part of the reason that the eight seed is there was a long stretch where they didn't hit the ball this year, and then there was a stretch where they couldn't pitch the ball, and it feels like they couldn't put it all together. So I'm, I'm taking Tampa in two. All right. I, we're on the same page there. Cleveland Yankees, uh, the two best pitchers in the American League, for sure, with Bieber and Cole. Uh, maybe maybe whoever pitches better between those two leads, leads the way to potentially what happens. Um, I think I like Cleveland's arms a little bit better over the course of, of you know, two to three games. The Yankees have the monster bats, though, and, I mean, you can shut them down for eight innings, but with those bats, I mean, it only takes one swing potentially to, to climb back in something. This this is also a really interesting series. I agree, and I think now that the Yankees are healthy, they've just hit their stride. Uh, I do love the Cleveland pitching. Um, I do think Bieber's absolutely fantastic, but so is Garrett Cole. Um I'm going to go with the Yankees in three, but it would not shock me at all for Cleveland to win this series. I think it's absolutely the definition of a coin flip. 
when you looked at at just the roster and if Severino were to ever get back to his old form, if Paxton were to ever get back to his old form and those guys are following Garrett Cole in, in a rotation, like the thought of that to me was crazy how good they could be. And Severino still hurt, Paxton on the DL also, or IL, I guess. I, I still haven't mastered the the IL terminology yet, but um, they're, yeah, like I, I just... Their bullpen's been great for years, and they finally, it seemed like, put all the pieces together from a rotation standpoint. But again, it's it's a health thing, uh, and now it's just kind of Cole, and then I guess Tanaka is number two? I, I think Tanaka would get the ball in game two, and then I would imagine J.A. Happ will get it in game three. And I like the Yankees. I actually think the short series here benefits the Yankees because yeah. if they can snap, if they, now I think they, Really try have to try and win game one, obviously behind Cole, and you're going against the best, the best with uh, Bieber. But I think the short series benefits the Yankees because they don't have depth at pitching. Cole's fantastic, Tanaka's really good, but after that, ooh, it's a lot of hodgepodge put together right now. Yeah, I, it's I'm gonna have to pick the Yankees in three. I hope I'm wrong, and I hope we're talking about Cleveland in the next round, but. Uh... And I wouldn't be disappointed, but yeah, I those bats just I, I feel like too much. You can be great, like I said, you can be great for the majority of the game, but every single inning you're facing guys that can take you yard. Yeah, they are. <laughs> okay, Twins Astros. Um, it was comical to me all year long to watch the Astros struggle to hit the ball. I wonder why, but uh, they did make the postseason, so. Well, I just I'm glad I made I'm glad I made it back in time for the podcast. I was up in Minnesota locking up the trash can for me. Uh, <laughs> ballpark. Oh yeah. Yes. Man, the Astros. Now that said the Minnesota and I know one team has nothing to do with the other, but it is absolutely amazing to me that the Minnesota Twins have found a way to lose sixteen consecutive playoff games. That's stunning. They, they do nothing for me in the pitching department, but from a lineup standpoint, I mean, it just, they they have so many guys that seemingly can all put it together at the same time. Yeah. And Maeda's not too bad on the mound. Um, he he's actually been, control, he's been pretty yeah. good this year, yeah. But yeah, from a hitting standpoint, they just really have some guys that can beat the ball. I mean, Miguel Sano, I mean, I know the guy's barely hitting 200, but it just seems like, especially when they played the White Sox, every time the Twins needed a big hit, there was Miguel Sano, Max Kepler. We actually controlled Nelson Cruz very well, the White Sox did, but it was everybody else. Byron Buxton, I think, had two inside-the-park home runs over two days against <laughs> the White Sox, which was crazy. Um, but yeah, Minnesota hits the ball. This is a series I've gone back and forth on. Um I originally said Twins in three, and I was thinking Astros in three. Again, I think it's a coin flip, but I'm actually going to say Astros in three. I just think that the experience is going to matter. Um, like you said, pitching-wise, although there's no Verlander, um, the Astros have started playing well lately. They actually have actually played better as the year has gone on and not worse. Yeah, Valdez has been a massive boost for them. Which I mean, I, I don't out, know. Out of nowhere. Yeah, I don't. I, I I didn't know anything about the guy. I consider myself to be pretty educated on baseball and prospects, and uh, like this dude just 
for me at least, came out of nowhere. And maybe maybe Astros fans expected this out of him, but holy cow. No, I actually, you're correct. He just got out of nowhere because I think I read the other day that he wasn't even considered a top 30 prospect in the organization going into the year. Okay, there you go. Yeah, crazy. I, I just, I remember one day I was looking through fantasy baseball numbers and I just happened to stumble on his name and looked at what he was doing and I just thought, holy cow, who the hell is this guy? I've never even heard of him. And I mean, start after start after start, he was just putting up insane numbers. Yeah, and part of the reason I think I went towards the Astros is I just think if the Twins, no, Twins win game one with Maeda, obviously they have an upper hand because they get past Grinky, but then again, like you just said, the Astros still have Valdez. I just think if the Astros and Grinky win game one, Boy, that's a, that's a tall order for the Twins to win two in a row with their lack of spectacular pitching. Yeah. Uh, no Donaldson, I guess, in this round for the Twins, but I, I, I still, I just think with Buxton and Kepler and Rosario and Cruz and Sano and Polanco and Garver, they just, they, none of those guys are necessarily superstars, but it just seems like every time I watch them, they just all all those guys put it seemingly put it together. So I'm gonna go twins and three. Twins and three. All right, here we go. This one is is maybe the series I'm most hopeful for because the White Sox are the underdogs. They've they've struggled a little bit, but the A's and the White Sox, what do you got? You know, a lot of people are gonna say it's a homer pick because I grew up a White Sox fan, but I'm taking the White Sox and I think they're gonna do it in two. I just don't think the A's score enough runs. I mean, I was shocked when I went to the A's batting average and just see that they don't even have a rate. They don't have anyone that had over 100 at-bats this season batting higher than 246. 246. I mean, we're not even talking about a high high bar here. Now, that's not to say they can't win some games. Matt Olson is a stud. I mean, the guy is an absolute stud. Even though he's batting sub 200, the guy just knows how to hit the ball. He gets timely hits. Um, Matt Chapman is a gold glove third baseman, probably. He's out, uh, right? But I. Oh, yes, he is out. That's correct. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And I just think the White Sox went so cold, and I think it's just time to light it up again. I think the starting pitching is probably close to a wash. I mean, Giolito and Keuchel, Lozardo and Bassett, I mean, I don't really think there's any significant edge there, but when it comes to hitting the ball, I just think the White Sox have such an edge that, uh, you know, I mean, the one thing to remember is this team was the one seed in the American League until eight days ago, and then they just went on a bad streak, uh, didn't pitch well at all, really didn't hit that great. Uh, I'm just hopeful that the hitting will come back because I don't think that all of a sudden all seven guys that were pounding the ball forgot how to hit. Yeah. What do you think about the White Sox bullpen? I like most of the guys. I like the fact that they have six guys that are capable, but they don't have anyone that's fantastic other than Colome. Colome has been unbelievable this year. Garrett Crochet, I mean – he just looks disgusting. He does. I'm not ready to call him a star yet. He's, I'm looking right now. He yeah. actually pitched five. He yeah. pitched five games, but right. he does look incredible. Um, 
I just think the White Sox, like I said, I think the pitching between the two teams is probably close to a wash, and I just think the White Sox hitting is far, far superior. Yeah, I agree. Um, as long as they don't pitch Reynaldo Lopez. Uh, yeah, or Jimmy Cordero. Lock him <laughs> up in the bullpen, make him stay there. He cannot come into a baseball game. All right, I'm I'm White uh, Sox in three. I actually saw a stat on Jimmy Cordero the other day. Um, his ERA when he was in ball games when the White Sox were winning by more than four runs. So not saying it's not meaningful, but not as meaningful. His ERA went in there leading by four runs or more was two forty seven, I believe it said. And his ERA when the, it was a quote close game within four runs was like nine fifty. Oh. So yeah. I just don't want Jimmy Cordero in the game. Not good. Not good. All right. At this point in time, we're not going to go through the rest of it, just the, the first round matchups, but given everything you've seen leading up to this, what are we calling this? The wild card round? Is that what they've named this? That is what it's called. Yeah, okay. the wild card round. And actually, next round will be at the in the bubble. You know, they have the two bubbles going yeah, on. Yeah. And they're going to have fans down in Arlington. So maybe we need to make a little road trip and go take a game now. Dude, I'm in. I, I was actually going to ask you if, uh, if that was the plan because, you know, I knew that uh, Arlington was – and that's the World Series location, correct? Correct. Yeah, that would be that'd be pretty incredible. Yeah, I think that we we need to go. Yep, holler at me. I'm uh, I'm okay, I'm in. I will. Yeah. Okay. Um. So we we made our picks going into the wild card round. Now that everything has kind of been reshuffled and we're we're looking at at where we are, what would be the world World Series prediction for you today? As bad as I want to see the White Sox play the Padres, I mean, I really, really want to see the White Sox play the Padres. I think they're the two most exciting young teams. I don't think either of those teams is ready yet. Um, I hate to go with the chalk, but I've got to take the Dodgers in the National League. I don't see how, when they're one of the best postseason teams already, they've gotten to the World Series a few times, and now you've added Mookie Betts to your team. I, I don't see how I can pick against the Dodgers. And uh, in the American League, I, I hate to take the evil empire, but I think I'm going to pick the Yankees. I just believe that they're healthy now. Since they've been healthy the last two weeks, they've been playing some great baseball. They're getting not, – I'm not sold on the Yankees pitching, I will say that. If, if the White Sox could somehow get to advance to play the Yankees and in the uh, American League Championship Series, I think that would be very interesting because I think the Yankees are pitching thin. But – I just think with their lineup healthy, they're just dangerous. So I'm going to say Dodgers Yankees right now. All right, uh, that, that again, that was my preseason pick: Dodgers over the Yankees in the World Series. And I think that's. I think I'm leaning the same way. I think I'm still on the Dodgers to win it all. And the more, oh, yeah. I still like. I it, for me, it's funny because I think that just the matchup with Cleveland is troublesome for the Yankees in the first round, but. If they get past that, I kind of like them the rest of the way. Um, and I look, I like the A's Sox winner too. I think the A's Sox winner is definitely playing for the AL. But uh, yeah, I, I was just absolutely about to say the same thing. I think the White Sox A's winner is going to play the Indian Yankees winner. Yeah, I yeah, believe. Yeah, I think, yeah, we're on the same page. I would love to be wrong. And to your point, I would love to see. The Padres, White Sox, it would be exceptional uh, to see those two teams in the World Series. And and look, I think from a fan standpoint, 
it would I think it would excite a lot of people maybe bring back people that that have since left the sport no I am going to tell you that this is I don't need to remind you this is 2020 so we might as well just write down that it's going to be the Marlins <laughs> against the Blue Jays and go home now uh, if the Marlins if the Marlins win the World Series then I have to go back to whatever July like 30th and that podcast and I have to repost the 10 minute rant I went on about how baseball just needed to continue without the Marlins and just shut them down because they're completely worthless and uh, that, that would be just the most perfect fitting to 2020 sports <laughs> yes it would all right yes it would um let's I, I do want to switch gears a little bit and talk a few other things dude what happened in Norman on Saturday Thankfully, I wasn't in Norman on Saturday. I was watching my son play Little League oh, baseball. Oh, okay. So you were and, you were lucky. He didn't he didn't have a good day, but I can tell you, whatever day he had was still better than the day the Sooners defense. <laughs> so okay, you were at the Missouri uh, yeah. State opener. How weird was that whole setting, or was it weird at all? So I, I think it was quote unquote weird because when you scored a touchdown, there's really no one to high five except a few people in your group. Right. Yeah. I took, I took uh, my middle son and one of his good friends and don't get me wrong with kids there. It was kind of great because if they need to go to the bathroom, you miss two plays instead of a whole series. If you needed concessions, you missed three minutes instead of 13 minutes. Um, so from a, you know, accessibility standpoint and low traffic, it was great, but it wasn't a great, atmosphere now part of that certainly i believe has to do with the opponent i mean you know i don't think it'd be a great atmosphere against missouri state even if you sold every seat in the place um it's gonna be interesting on a go forward what happens with this team because what's good let me ask you do you think that if spencer rattler struggles in uh aims early this weekend that he makes a move or no 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 i i in terms of the problems that oklahoma has I think Spencer Rattler's at the very bottom of the list. I, I agree. But I agree with you. I didn't want to, you know, make, give you a preconceived answer yeah. what I thought. I agree. Yeah. I think Spencer Rattler's fine, but I know there's a lot of people out there who, you know, they're very excited to maybe potentially see alternative. Yeah, options, well, it's so. funny because we, I, the pregame show that I do with Mike Steely uh, last Saturday, we were joking about how, you know, there was this whole idea that there was a quarterback battle, and then, you know, we saw Spencer Rattler in game number one just look incredible, and Tanner Mordecai was very underwhelming against a terrible opponent. And then Chandler Morris came in and really excited people in the fourth quarter with his legs, and just, you know, he looked like he was shot out of a cannon every time he took off. And I made the joke, like, maybe the quarterback battle was Chandler Morris and Spencer Rattler. And uh, it was funny on Twitter in the fourth quarter, it never fails. There were, you know, bring in Chandler Morris tweets, which I find completely comical. Look, Spencer Rattler's fine. He's he's playing his second real game, second real action in college football, first real action against Division One talent. And I, I know there were three interceptions in the ball game. The first one was a tip pass. I mean, that happens. I, I, I didn't look at that and think Spencer Rattler's a dumbass or Spencer Rattler you know, fucked up. Right. Like it was just a, it's, it just happens in football. The second pass to me was a lazy throw where the guy has elite arm ability. And I think he just probably trusted his arm a little too much and didn't completely step in the throw. And it fell short and Kansas state picked it off. And that's something he'll learn from. 
I, again, it was the right, I think that was the right throw to make. If he puts it over the top, it's a massive gain. He just underthrew it and didn't step into it. And again, probably just a little too confident in his arm ability. And then the light one, you know, again, you're trying to push the football down the field and you were in a position where you had to try and force something and that, that was the outcome. So be it. But the defense is a complete disaster once again. And it's the same issues, right? Like they can't tackle. The tackling is atrocious. The big plays that they give up in the passing game is mind blowing. The big plays on third and long yeah. are mind boggling. Yeah, they it, it, like they for whatever reason just give up these plays that that nobody in Division One football should be giving up on a consistent basis. And you know, any one of those plays, okay, you made a mistake. Like that happens, but they seem to make multiple mistakes like that every single week. And then the third thing is they they never force a turnover. And that's Alex Grinch's thing. Force turnovers, get the ball back, give your offense more opportunities. And I, I don't know how it's possible because generally turnovers are just a 50-50 thing, right? Like one year you may be really good at it. The other year you may be really bad at it. It's one of those things that seemingly when you look at it across the country, it, it, it tends to balance out because sometimes it's just the bounce of the ball. But Oklahoma's on like year number five where it just seems like the ball never bounces their way. And at some point... You just have to ask the question, why is this happening over and over and over and just this entire failure to produce from that standpoint? And and it's not that big of a deal if you're also not missing tackles constantly and not blowing coverages constantly, but he looked like a beaten man in that post-game interview. I don't know if you saw it, but the look on his face just to me kind of just said like, and, and I think he actually said like, I don't have the answer. I don't know. He said, if I knew I would fix it and it wouldn't be happening, but like, I, I don't think anybody knows what the answer is. Like, how can this defense possibly continue to just be as bad as they've been? And I do, I do give him credit for how, how improved they were a season ago. And they certainly got better last year. Not that they were great, but they were better than the previous years. And after, after Saturday, it just kind of feels like they're right back to square one. But let me ask you this. Do you think last year they were, quote, better? Because while Jalen Hurts obviously didn't have the arm of Spencer Rattler, he had the experience and the leadership to bail them out. And right now, while Rattler is immensely talented, I don't know that he has the experience and leadership to go bail the defense out every time yet. Yeah, that's probably some of it. You know, uh, Oklahoma really benefited from time of possession last year as well. I, I know they weren't dynamic offensively, but they were better from a ball control standpoint because of what the offense looked like. And, and again, this year we're back to the old style of throwing the football and big plays. And, um, you know, that's another issue is, is the offensive line. And we can jump into that. But, uh, yeah, I think that's probably some of it. Being on the football field for long periods of time, being on the football field a lot more and, and not kind of having that ball control type of offense. But, yeah, I think there are just – I think there are a bunch of – things in play for why the Oklahoma defense is bad and why they look like they did on Saturday. And at some point you just have to, I mean, it's, it's the same narrative with Oklahoma once again. And we talked about this earlier. um, If you're looking at this from a playoff standpoint, why on earth would the committee give Oklahoma the benefit of the doubt? If Oklahoma is not clearly a team that deserves a playoff spot and they're kind of in a position where you're debating between a few teams I, I feel like the narrative, once again, is going to be, well, Oklahoma's dynamic offensively. They're terrible defensively. We've seen this story before. Why are we going to give them another chance? I don't disagree. 
what all that said, what do you believe happens this weekend in Ames? Because I think they're going to come out with a chip on their shoulder, and I think they're going to play well and win. Now, what happens the next week? Who knows? Yeah, I, I still, I, I've watched both Iowa State games, and I'm very underwhelmed by the Cyclones. And once again, I went into the season, I think I picked them third coming into the season. And last year, I think I picked them third coming into the season. And they still are really underwhelming to me. Brock Purdy still, I, I don't know what it is, but he just doesn't seem, he, he just plays so cautious and doesn't seem to just ball out, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know. Not- there's some sort of like restriction there where he just doesn't allow himself to just play the game. If I, I don't know if that makes sense, but that's just kind of I feel like he's held back in in the way that he plays. Um, yeah, I think Oklahoma is gonna gonna score a bunch of points. Iowa State's obviously going to make some plays because the defense isn't pitching a shutout. But yeah, I think Oklahoma bounces back. And then I agree with you on Purdy. He's a good quarterback. He's a game manager. He's not a playmaker. Yeah. I, I think he could be, but he he just, he, I don't know. He doesn't want to push the ball down the field. I think he's a little bit too cautious, and I, maybe there's a reason for that. I mean, I'm not, I'm not following that team closely. May, there might be a reason why maybe he doesn't trust the protection. Maybe he's not trusting the playmakers that he has down the football field, but every time I watch them, uh, it just kind of feels like he is very hesitant to want to open up the offense and push the ball down the field. Uh, on another note, I actually haven't looked at this. Are they having fans in Ames this weekend? Oh, that's a good question. I don't, I don't know the answer to that. I don't think so, but I could be wrong. Let's see. I'm Googling. Uh, September 2nd. That's a month ago. Looks like 25,000 fans. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah, fans. But, uh, you know, Iowa State's one of those places you never want to go play because of that aspect. But, I mean, obviously that's uh, that's not nearly the same situation as it normally would be. By the way, how absolutely perfectly did Major League Baseball plan this playoff schedule to play playoff games Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, they're completely off Saturday, Sunday, so that they do not compete with college football or the NFL. It's like they finally get it, right? Yeah. I mean, it is actually wonderfully planned, and it was probably one of the first things that baseball hasn't fucked up. Well, the fact that they couldn't figure it out before they did this summer, I thought was a giant miss. They could have been playing when nobody had anything else to watch, and they failed in that department. They, I think they really failed in the department of blackouts this season when people can't go to games anyway and you still have blackouts. Like, I couldn't watch Astros. I couldn't watch Cardinals, Royals. Who else? Uh, Rockies. Like, you can't go to games anyway. And you, you're still doing this right. whole television blackout thing? Like, that to me was mind-blowing that in a year where nobody can go to games and baseball, once again, is still struggling to get eyeballs that you don't figure out how to, and I don't know the the legalities of all that, but the fact that they couldn't figure out how to bypass this in 2020 to, to allow everybody to watch every game, to me, was so stupid. But yeah, this yeah, might be the well, first right move they've made, not trying to compete with football, because that's a losing battle. As much as I like baseball, unless it's you know a win-or-go-home type game, I'm, I'm probably watching a football game. Right. Right. No, I agree with you. 
I agree with you. I'm, I'm a baseball guy first, but I think most people would watch football first, and I think it's great the baseball planned it that way. And I'm sure it wasn't all planned. It was part of it is they need those two days to travel to the bubble because obviously this first round is in home yeah. parks, and then we go to the San Diego LA bubble for the American League teams and the Houston Arlington bubble for the National League teams. Yeah. Man, San Diego is. Uh... <laughs> I, I've I've not been inside that ballpark, but I was there like three or four years ago. That that San Diego downtown area is fantastic. Yeah, no, San Diego's fantastic. We uh, we took our sons to the All Star Game in San Diego. I guess it was now two thousand eighteen. Yeah, I believe yeah. There. And uh, maybe it was even earlier. Maybe two thousand sixteen. Was that the run. was that the home run derby when uh, Jock Peterson and and was it Vlad Guerrero Jr. just both put on a show? No, Guerrero wasn't there. Oh yes, it was. No, that was that was nineteen. Okay, that was nineteen. Uh, the sixteen derby. I'm trying to think Somebody kept was. hitting the ball on that that upper level of the the metal building right in that home run derby oh yeah it, it, i just looked up this is Giancarlo Stanton oh that's who it was yeah 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 the uh but yeah that San Diego park is absolutely incredible absolutely incredible yeah uh all right man anything else you want to hit on no let's uh hope we'll be doing this again and we'll be talking about the White Sox advancing the next round getting one step closer to a White Sox Padres yeah. World Series, which I know we both would love. I don't know that think that I don't know if this is the year, but I can tell you this as a fan of the White Sox, and if you're someone out there listening as a fan of the Padres, I believe the next five to seven years are gonna be incredibly exciting. And for me as a White Sox fan, if we don't win at least one World Series in the next five years, and I would hope to, yeah, it's gonna be incredibly disappointing with the amount of young talent we have. And I don't know the situation on the Padres contracts like I do the White Sox, but the White Sox have just locked up this talent for so long and we're so smart about it early by, you know, giving Eloy Jimenez seven years, I think, at, you know, seven million a year. And they took a chance that he's going to be good or great, I should say, versus waiting for him to become a free agent and then having to pay him 40 million a year. Right. Um, and a lot of these young guys bid on that. And so they've locked up a lot of their young talent for six, seven, some of them even eight years. And I just think it's a, a window you've got to take advantage of. I'm sure Padres fans feel the same way. They're in the playoffs earlier than expected. Now, part of that's because of the expansion of the playoffs. But, hey, however you get there, I'll take it. I mean, I'm one of those people. I believe this season comes with an asterisk. But I believe it comes with an asterisk of it was harder this year. Because, A, you've got a two out of three series in the yeah, beginning, which sure. can go any way. And just the circumstances surrounding, especially for NBA and NHL, you can't see your family. You can't leave the bubble. I mean, it's just, I think it's just a lot harder. And in the NBA, the Lakers be like, oh, they're the Lakers, but nothing is, they, they sacrificed. They actually lost home court advantage. So it's harder on a team like that, I think, to go play in the bubble. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, totally. A t- yeah, a team like the Thunder, a team, you know, there there are some places that have incredible home court advantages and and not having that you know plays a, a role certainly. 
Yeah, yeah. But it's going to be an exciting week of sports, that's for sure. I mean, it's going to be one of the first times you've ever had, you know, all these sports going. I mean, unfortunately, hockey ended last night. But, you know, you got the baseball playoffs, you got the NBA finals, and you're right in the prime now of college football and NFL season. So it's going to be one heck of a week. Yeah, I, I, I just want to play. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I know people get pissed about Christmas music in uh, before Halloween, but uh, it, it kind of feels like that. It's the most wonderful time of the year. We have so much great stuff happening every day. Yeah, the only thing that could even made it better is if they would have rescheduled the Masters for the first weekend of October <laughs> right? instead of November. No doubt, no doubt. Hey, I did want to ask you, um, what is the demand for for OU football tickets? I mean, obviously there's there's limited seating does that make it go up or are people kind of content to just watch from home? So I think it's been a little bit of both. I mean, they're selling at 25% capacity OU, which, you know, math logic would tell you prices should be four times as much. They're not. Uh, there are certainly people who are either a scared of the pandemic and getting sick or B don't want to go to the games for whatever reason. Uh, I've, I've got one very good customer who's gone to every OU home game since 1989 and did not go this year. Wow. And I asked, I asked him why. And he said to me, Mike, the game to me is the icing on the cake, but they took away my cake. I can't tailgate. I can't sit outside and have a beer and tell jokes with my friends and see all my pals that I went to school with. I only see four or five, six times a year during football games. And to me, that's why I went, I didn't go for the game. The game was just the, the end of the day but it was about getting out there and setting everything up and tailgating and they're not allowing that. So I'm not going. Yeah. The, the so game day experience. That's it like for that. a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. The game has changed, but the experience has changed. And let's face it. A lot of OU season ticket holders and a lot of the OU crowd are on the older side of the age range. And so those are the people that are, you know, more vulnerable to COVID and probably you're taking greater precautions, but then there's also people that are going. So, you know, I, I do think that when things come back or they're selling arenas out for concerts and sports, I think people are going to want to go to events. I think people are going to be very hungry. I, I can't even count how many people told me, I want to go see a concert. Just let me know when oh, a concert's right. coming to Chesapeake Arena again. I mean, I want to go see you know Pearl Jam or I want to go see Garth Brooks or Brad Paisley or whoever people like. I mean, there's so many people that are just want to go out to an event. And I think part of that is just to regain some sense of normalcy. Uh, so right now I would say there's cautious optimism. Uh, I'm certainly getting calls for tickets from some people, but I wouldn't, the demand's not off the charts. I would say it's steady. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of Pearl Jam, we were, we were all set to watch Pearl Jam at the peak on a Monday night, get on an airplane that next morning and fly to Augusta for the masters. And that would have been a pretty spectacular week. I don't disagree, and maybe one day it'll happen again, but uh, we just got to get there. Small steps. I mean, the 25% capacity is better than none. Uh, I'm hoping that maybe as the season goes along, if, you know, the COVID uh, thing tapers off and, you know, once November 3rd is gone, uh, maybe we'll sell some more tickets and maybe you'll allow 50% capacity. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, if, if For people that do still want to try to get tickets, is the website the best way to go? It is totallytickets.com or you can call our office 295-2222 and one of us will help you. And uh, 
Yeah, I think uh, OU Texas is the next game we're selling tickets to, and that's gonna that's gonna that one there will be a ton of demand for. Yeah. Because the other thing about that one is the Cotton Bowl is always so crammed. Yes. And now with the limited capacity, you're actually going to be able to spread out and be halfway comfortable at the Cotton Bowl. That'll be a first for an OU Texas game. Well, and and look, you mentioned the game day experience. I know there are some people that enjoy the the state fair experience and going to the game. I'm I'm actually the complete opposite. I, I think it it kind of is a detractor for me because trying to I mean it takes you after the game ends it takes you an hour to walk a block away from the football stadium in, in that setting and I I think it would be nice to be able to go take that in with no fare going on around you and the reduction of people I am on the absolute 100% same page as you I'm not a fair person I'd rather the fair not be going on and so I think it'll be a better experience this year Unfortunately for me, I have a friend's wedding to go to that weekend. Who's not an OU fan or not an OU fan or a Texas fan? They actually live in Las Vegas, so uh, I'll be attending a wedding and not being able to go to the game. But uh, I think it's going to be a great experience for OU Texas. A great experience. PSA: and Don't tell, book fall weddings, people. Come on. Right. Think about your and friends. I can actually tell the demand will be high for OU Texas because a lot of people feel the same way. I've done the fair, I've done the two-hour wait, I've done the traffic, but this is a chance to see an epic football game without the inconveniences of all that. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be pretty cool. That'll be a pretty incredible scene. So, uh, yeah, totallytickets.com. You can uh, you can touch base with Mike, and, and he'll get you all set up. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, talk, uh, let's talk World Series baseball and all that good stuff uh, very, very soon. That sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Colby. All right, take care, my friend. Thank you. That was Mike Fletcher joining us on the Colby Daniels podcast. Once again, he mentioned the OU Texas tickets coming up in just a couple weeks. Totallytickets.com. For those of you that want to try and check that out. And look, I think that's going to be a pretty great setting. You're not going to have the traffic. You're not going to have the state fair shenanigans going on around the game. If there were ever a year to go to OU Texas, I think this would be the year. As always, I appreciate you guys checking out the podcast please subscribe to the podcast rate the podcast review the podcast share the podcast with your friends you can contact me via twitter at colby underscore daniels on instagram colby.daniels and i look forward to hearing from you guys that's it for this episode i'll talk to you guys soon everybody stay safe Okay. <laughs>